Welcome to the Buick Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Sheldon Marion, and on this podcast, we dive deep into the outdoors. We discuss hunting and fishing techniques, give you tips and tricks, tell stories, and everything in between to help you enjoy the outdoors. Do you want outdoor apparel that's designed with a conscience? If so, check out Northbound Gear. They are a leader in creating innovative, sustainable, high-quality products designed to enhance your outdoor experience. Whether you hunt, fish, explore, camp out, or just enjoy nature, they'll have something that suits your needs. I've tried it all, and their adventure, water-resistant pants, explorer summer pants, the 2-in-1 zip-off pants, and the men's apex waterproof jackets are all my favorite. I really can't decide which one I like more, and I wear them all daily. I've taken the gear bear hunting in the northern swamps of BC, hiking and fossil hunting on the river and waterfalls, and wore them out on the west coast fishing for salmon, halibut, prawns, and crabs. Not once have they let me down. Check them out at northboundgear.co, and if you use my promo code SHELDON15, you will save 15% off your order, including sale items. As an added bonus, they also plant one tree right here in Canada with every purchase. So again, that's northboundgear.co and use promo code SHELDON15 to save 15% off your order. Hey everyone, welcome back to another Buick Outdoors podcast. If you're new around here, I'm your host Sheldon Marion. And right now we are basically wrapping up our chicken season for the year. Uh, yesterday was our last hunt for the season and uh, you know for us it's been a, a pretty good year uh, the numbers have been a little bit low this year but that just kind of happens with chickens they they go through cycles same thing with rabbits uh, last year the numbers were starting to decline by quite a bit and then this year is kind of when they hit kind of the bottom point so generally speaking uh, starting next year their numbers should start to climb back up and we should have a even better year and it uh usually what will happen is next year will be a little bit better and the year after that maybe up to two years is when it'll kind of climb and peak and then it kind of plateaus there for a year or two and then it starts to kind of come down again so it's just it's just how it is you know it uh it's one of those things where yeah it happens every year uh you can pretty well bet money on the cycle of chickens and rabbits. It's just, you know, it's one of those things that just happens. Uh, but yeah, last year I used my 17 HMR, I think, pretty well all year. And this year I want to change it up a little bit. So I uh, used that new 22 that I got. Uh, it was a Marlin Model 925. And uh, on top of that, I just had a little Bushnell 3-9 by 32 scope. Uh, just shooting regular old blazers. I usually buy a brick of 22 bullets at the beginning of the year in the springtime. And then usually those 500 rounds, they last me all spring, summer, and fall. And throughout the winter and then come springtime, I usually buy another brick. Uh, this year I kind of screwed up though because I think... Uh, maybe around Christmas time, I bought a brick of bullets, and then, uh, this spring, I bought another brick, they didn't have blazers, so I bought a brick of Federal, and then, uh, starting out this fall, I bought a third brick, 
Uh, this one of blazers, so I got pretty well one and a half bricks of blazers, so that's like 750 rounds of 22 bullets. And then another 500 of American Eagle. Except the American Eagle, I don't know if they come in the 500 round bricks or if they're 400. But either way, I, I'm good for the next few years now. So if you ever see me uptown and I'm buying a, a box of 22 bullets, just kind of slap me upside the head for me, would you? Because, uh, yeah, I definitely have enough. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, so yesterday's hunt, it was quite a fun one. Uh, like I said, I used my 22 this year, and I wanted to change things up just on the last hunt. Uh, I kind of like using different things. Uh, that's why I used my old 16-gauge single-shot shotgun on a bear this spring. I don't like using the same old thing every time you know i i just love switching things up having oddball calibers or trying weird things like well like the single shot 16 gauge shotgun for a bear i mean there's three three left fielders there you're using a single shot you're using the shotgun and you're using a 16 gauge all on a bear like it's <laughs> yeah it's uh yeah that's the hat trick there uh, but anyways, so, yeah, yesterday I took out my little single shot, uh, 12 gauge, uh, it's a Revolution Armory, uh, SB1W, uh, 12 gauge, uh, that thing, it comes with three chokes, you have the cylinder modified and then the full, uh, the one I was using is the cylinder, uh, basically it's a thread protector, uh, and I use that one because when you're chicken hunting, typically you're within that 25-yard range. Uh, when you're using modified, I believe it's roughly 35-yard range. And then full choke is 45 yards and past. Uh, if you if you look all that stuff up, you'll get a much better description of it. I'm just giving you the short and sweet kind of thing. And then uh, with that too... I was using just regular old federal kind of like target rounds, a blue box, uh, two and three quarter inch shot, uh, or two and three quarter inch shells. I believe it's seven shot I was using. I'm not too sure. I'm not much of a shotgun guy at all. And, and with those, you know, it's kind of like a box of 22 bolts for 25 shotgun shells. It's like $8. And because they're not a migratory bird, you don't have to use steel shot. So for me, it's it's a no-brainer. Uh, plus, you know, the shotgun shells, it's kind of like my 22 bullets. Every so often, you just kind of buy a box because you're there kind of a thing. And then over the years, you kind of start to accumulate quite a few. But uh, I definitely burnt through some of them yesterday. And uh, we went out. Uh, we got nine rough grouse. Uh, we seen, I want to say we seen about 13, uh, couple of them there, they just kind of flew away before we could get stopped and stuff, and then there was a couple where, uh, there's a group of three, I shot two, one flew away kind of a thing, so, uh, whatever, I mean, you can't really kill them all, and even if you could, I wouldn't want to anyways, uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a blast, uh, running around with the shotgun. Uh, I usually feel like I'm cheating though when I'm using my shotgun because you just don't miss. You know, at least with my 22 and my 17, 
I mean, even with them, I don't miss that much. But at least, you know, the opportunity, the chance is there. Where when I'm using the shotgun, man, if them chickens are in your sights and they don't fly away, they're toast. <laughs> but uh, another thing I don't really like about using shotguns too is just the pellets. Uh, with the 16 gauge, it's not too bad. I have that one figured out because it's just a smooth bore. So I put the bead on its head and I pick it up till its head disappears. And then you pull the trigger and usually it just clips the very top of their head and I very rarely do I get pellets actually in the in the breast but uh yeah with the 12 gauge there there's quite a few birds that have pellets in their chest but I mean it is what it is you you're using a shotgun right so uh yeah you just kind of gotta cut around them rinse them off real good uh, and just kind of be careful when you're eating them really but for me I always, well, with the ones that I got yesterday, I'll be uh, cutting them off the breastbone, vacuum wrapping them up. And then also part of doing that is any parts where they're shot up or whatever, I just cut it off, throw it out. You know, it, I'm not messing around with that. It's, you get bloodshot and pellets and a lot of feathers and stuff kind of get sucked into them, little holes and stuff. And I don't like chewing on that stuff and I haven't lost any teeth from uh, chewing on a pellet yet but uh yeah that's how i go about cleaning up my uh shotgun birds uh when i'm when i'm gutting them i do just a typical usual way i uh, just grab them by their feet run my other hand up their breast where it comes to a point you grab that skin you pull it all the way down until it exposes the top of their breast where the v is on the wishbone and usually their their little food sack is right there so you just kind of pull that out of the way. Take, well with me I take my left hand. I put it into the V on the breast bone. And I actually put it inside the cavity. And then my right hand I take it. I wrap my index finger around its neck. And you just one steady pull away from each other. And then that way your the breast and the wings stay on your left hand. Doesn't go anywhere near the dirt. The guts and all that good stuff stays on your right hand. You can pull the legs off if you like and eat them. And then also, when you're doing it that way too, uh, like 90% of the time, uh, what ends up happening is on the inside of the breast, uh, the heart and kind of like the liver will usually stay in there. Sometimes uh, it gets pulled out, but whatever. You just got to go find that, really. But uh, I like to pull them off, feed them to the dogs, feed them to the cats. Uh my brother there, he said, uh, well, his dog just had like a, a birthday party kind of a thing. And Blaine said that he's his dog's favorite. So uh, I got some chicken hearts for her. <laughs> I'm going to get that number one spot back. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, I'm not, uh, not much of a shotgun guy. Even though I think I have five of them. I think I got three 12 gauges, my 16 gauge, and then a 410. Uh, the 410 and the 16 are both uh, smooth bore. Uh, one of my 12 gauges is a smooth bore. Because that was just meant to be a slug gun when we were beaver trapping. Because uh, we didn't want to go through the process of renewing our proficiency test so we can pack pistols. So we just kind of 
got rid of that whole idea and got a shotgun instead. And then that one too, there's a big rod in the buttstock. You pull that out, you replace it with a little pistol grip and you have this short little itty bitty thing. But uh, yeah, that was for strictly just for kind of bears and stuff. And really it's dad's shotgun that I borrowed once and I just haven't given it back to him. But <laughs> I think I'm claiming ownership of it now. Uh, you know, next year I want to use a few more of my 22s. Uh, for a little while in time there, I kept buying 22s for some reason. Uh, just random oddball guns that I'd find that were just kind of cool, secondhand, consignment deals, whatever. Like The one I got is a, uh, I believe it's a Norinco JW20, I think. And what it is, it's kind of like a Japanese knockoff of an M1 carbine. And that thing is actually pretty nifty. It's a, it's a real short 22 with a wood stock and semi-auto. And it's a blast to shoot, uh, but it is not overly too accurate. Uh, when, jeez, uh, I want to say probably about eight years ago I bought that. And I used it that season. Uh, but, yeah... You see a chicken, you gotta shoot about three times at it, and you'd you'd eventually get them. But uh, you know, it's not a very consistent gun, but it's a cool gun. So for me, I mean, you know, I want to use it again just for the cool factor. <laughs> and then also got my Ruger ten twenty two. Uh, that one I kind of screwed up. Uh, when I bought that, it had just a regular black synthetic stock on it. Uh, but at the time, I thought kind of tactical equipment looked cool. So I bought uh, a new stock for it, and like those 1022s, you can you can spend ten grand on random stocks and attachments and stuff, and not even scratch the surface on what's available for 1022s. But anyways, I bought this fancy military-looking stock, slapped it on there, thought it looked cool, misplaced the regular stock that came with it, and then now I just hardly pack the thing. Uh, just because I didn't, uh, I'm not really into that tactical looking stuff anymore. Uh, but next year I'll probably just suck it up, pull it out of the gun closet there, and uh, start using it again, anyways. At least make one or two trips with it. Uh, it's always kind of fun just to mix her up a bit. Uh, and you know, that that's the kind of like the fun part about chicken hunting, though, too. For me, like. I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older, fatter, or lazier, or what, but when it comes to, like, bear hunting and chicken hunting, and, well, small animal, like, small game, like, squirrels and stuff, too, and most likely duck and goose, but I just haven't done that yet. But, you know, I'm starting to lean more and more towards that hunting style where it's not necessarily I can just be a fat lazy guy and just drive around but you know i can bring shelby i can bring my brother i can bring his woman i can bring dogs yesterday we brought a cat with us chicken hunting <laughs> you know and it's it's fun it's it's awesome you know and it doesn't discriminate against anybody whether you're young old you have disabilities uh you know, male, female, whatever. If you want to use a shotgun, bow, twenty-two, 
I'd have to double check the regulations, but I think any centerfire rifle you can use on on a chicken, you know, like it's just it's wicked fun. You can drive around, listen to music, you can talk, sing, laugh, whatever, you know, it's just enjoyable to be out. And I'm not saying, you know, hunting moose and elk isn't enjoyable, but like it it's more of a relaxing kind of a BS session with your buddy kind of a thing uh, when you're out hunting chickens, you know. it, And it also brings back just like childhood memories, you know what I mean? Uh, some of the best times of my life have been driving around with my dad shooting chickens with like the 22 Magnum kind of a thing. And now I'm able to kind of not really pass it on, sort of say, but... Uh, you know, bring people with me for my happy time kind of a thing. You know, I don't uh, I don't really know what else to really kind of call it. it sounds kind of quirky and cheesy, but, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, your success rate, too, is, is usually pretty high. So if you want to take a kid out hunting for the first hunting trip, you know, if you take them, say, deer hunting, that kind of seems to be where you start kids off is you know you gotta get them their first deer up in the north it's kind of first deer slash first moose kind of a thing you know but uh with the moose i can kind of see you know a lot of truck hunters going after moose with their kid kind of a thing but you know when it comes to deer it's a lot of getting up not super early i mean like when you hunt them in say november when i think is when you should hunt them not this early season stuff but you hunt them in november so i mean like really you wake up at like 6 30 7 o'clock drive out sit in the blind and you just hang out with your kid all day i can see that being good for the parent but for the kid uh depending on the kid you know uh a lot of them, their attention spans are extremely short, so you have to bring, like, you know, an iPad or a phone or something like that. And then usually in November, it's getting cold. Like, it's, it's nothing to be minus 20 in November. So then you have to start packing heaters and stuff, and if you don't, you know, the kid's just going to be cold and miserable kind of a thing. But when it comes to, like, chicken hunting, you know, it typically September uh October for me is like the time to hunt chickens but you know you do it September to October you don't have to set an alarm you just pack a lunch hop in the truck and you just kind of cruise you can bs with your kid do whatever you know and it's just it's a nice easy going relaxing time and, like, the difference between, like, chickens and deer is, like, with a deer, you could sit in a blind every day for a month and not even see a deer, let alone get your kid to shoot them. Where with chickens, I mean, yesterday I shot nine. The day before, if I would have went out, I probably could have shot another ten. You know, so, like, the success rate is huge. And hunting isn't about the kill. But when you're first starting out, you kind of have to be taught that it's not about the kill. So at at first, it almost is about the kill because you really want to hook them kind of a thing. And you're not going to hook them by putting them in a deer stand where they're freezing cold for, a, you know, a, a weekend or whatever, right? 
you're gonna do one weekend with that and then you know next weekend they're gonna go now nah, i'm gonna stay home with mom where it's nice and warm we're <laughs> we're gonna cuddle up on the couch and watch a movie and drink hot chocolate you can go freeze your ass off out there by yourself <laughs> so it is uh it is a great way to introduce your kids into chicken hunting uh i mean and even if you don't get a bunch of chickens you know it's what it's a great time uh even uh talking about you know like people with disabilities or getting up there in age and stuff you know one of my last hunts with my grandpa i think it was my last hunt with him uh was a chicken hunt and the <laughs> poor guy he was just uh, his eyesight got so bad and he didn't replace his glasses uh until i want to say it was like a couple weeks before this chicken hunt he finally got new glasses and i think my dad bought those for him same with the new scope for his 22 because his old one i guess was just done for but anyways the poor guy he couldn't he couldn't quite see the chickens so and just grandpa being grandpa you know how them old boys are you know kind of stubborn old mules he ends up taking his glasses off put them up on the dash of my truck and he's leaning out the window and he's the chicken's up in a tree and he can't quite see it so and he keeps kind of crouching down lower and lower and lower to the point where the gun is it's way above the chicken like the chicken's halfway up the tree grandpa's aiming at the top and he's complaining saying that he can't see the chicken and i said well grandpa you know the chicken is, is down quite a bit lower and then the poor guy he kind of he ducked down so low he <laughs> pretty well got stuck on the floorboard so i had to grab his gun unload it <laughs> help him up off the floorboard back onto the seat and then he couldn't find his glasses well he couldn't see where he put his glasses on because he took his glasses off so i had to grab the glasses off the dash for him hand it back to him he put them back on and <laughs> uh yeah it was it was a good time then he would he would take a couple of little pop shots at him and stuff and i can't remember how many he got but uh I I honestly think he only got like maybe one or two, but it was still a blast. I drove around with him for hours that day and just let him shoot at chickens. And then, uh, yeah, it was a it was a good time. Uh, when we were driving around, though, <laughs> he kept taking off his seatbelt, and pretty soon the truck's dinging at him. I said, "Hey, Grandpa, you know you gotta either buckle in your seatbelt or just buckle it in behind you if you don't actually want to wear it, just to." make the truck quit dinging and he'd yeah 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 yeah, okay yeah 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 i'll do that 10 seconds later ding 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 grandpa you put on your seatbelt oh yeah 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 i forgot to do that and he'd clip it in and then go around the next corner and sure as shit there's a chicken sitting right there so off comes the seatbelt out comes the gun and now he's looking for his clip and <laughs> It was just a vicious circle, and then we started driving again, pretty soon, ding, ding. And he was just sitting there, just staring out the window, watching the trees go by, not a care in the world, couldn't hear it dinging. <laughs> yeah, oh, it was it was such a great time with him. And then uh, 
I got the old satellite radio in the truck too, and I don't know how many channels are on that thing. It's like 300 channels, and man, you couldn't find a single thing that he liked on there. I think he was looking for kind of like one specific song or something, and we'd be sitting there thumbing through all the channels. And how about this one here? Ah, no, no, I don't like that one. Okay, yeah. Go to the next one, you know. This one here. Ah, no, I don't, uh, nope. Never like that guy. Alright, get on to, like, the new stuff and... Oh, what the hell is this? Well, that's the new country music. Oh, hell, that ain't country. And <laughs> so, you know, just keep scrolling through and... <laughs> pretty soon we just turned the radio off and just drove around with the windows rolled down. Dogs in the back seat. <laughs> yeah, it was... Yeah, definitely one of the better hunts I've been on. And plus two, speaking of losing his glasses, he kept losing his twenty-two bullets. Uh, I can't remember if he had a bag of twenty-two bullets or if it was a box of twenty-twos. But yeah, he'd have it in his shirt pocket. He'd pull them out, take one or two bullets out, put it in his magazine. Then he'd set on center console. Then he'd be looking for his bullets, and he'd find them on center console. And then he'd put them on the dash. Then he'd lose them again, so he'd put them into his pocket on his pants, and then he'd pull them out, put them in his shirt pocket, and then he'd be back into his pants. <laughs> then he'd be in the cup holder or something. So eventually it was just, yeah, Grandpa, when you're done shooting there, you just unload your gun, pass me your clip, I got your bullets here, I'll load everything for you, and, and you'll be good to go because there's, there's a few times where he forgot to reload his magazine. And you'd see a chicken, then he'd have to stop, find his magazine, find his bullets. By then, the chicken flew off, and then he's still trying to load everything up. And it'd be like five minutes just sitting there parked and <laughs> trying not to laugh at the poor guy. And he'd look up and, all right, where's the chicken at? Well, Grandpa, you know, he he, he just flew away. <laughs> and he'd oh, well, okay, well, we'll just keep driving. We'll look for another one. Yeah, yeah no problem, Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah when uh when he passed away there dad was going through all of his guns and stuff and uh grandpa's old thirty thirty came out of the closet this podcast is brought to you by rampage coffee rampage coffee is crafted in micro batches to produce a premium quality coffee that is just not possible any other way Step up your coffee game and get amped with premium quality freshly roasted coffee. Right now I'm waiting on the sampler bundle where you get to try all four blends for around $20. It comes with a full force premium espresso, code black dark roast, riot medium roast, the C4 extreme caffeine blend, and also comes with some pretty cool looking stickers. If you head over to rampagecoffee.com and use our promo code Buick, you'll receive 10% off. That's rampagecoffee.com, promo code B-U-I-C-K to get 10% off and get amped with Rampage Coffee. Yeah, Dad was going through uh, Grandpa's guns there and he pulled out his old uh, Winchester 94 3030. He asked me if I wanted that thing. So, uh, gonna say no to that. Uh, pretty well... It's an old relic, I think, my dad shot his first moose. Uh, with that gun, out on the 98 road. So that's a cool little piece of history. You know, it, it's a 
it's not exactly a collector's item, but it's one that uh, is more favorable. Uh, it's the Winchester 94, and it's the pre-1964. So it's, you know, it, people want that one more than the ones that are built after 1964. Uh, the reasoning why, I'm actually not too sure. Uh, I did a bunch of research on it when I first got it, but I kind of kind of forgot about it now uh but when i looked up the serial number i think it said that the one that grandpa had was made in 1958 so it it is pre-64 but it's just barely there uh but yeah when i got that thing you can tell that the front sight uh somehow got broken and knocked off or whatever and then uh Grandpa tried to epoxy one back on, and then that one also fell off. So, uh, yeah, I, I took that to Corn Lanes to get them to do that. And a few other things, you know, the thing hasn't been cleaned for probably a couple of decades, to be honest. And then the firing pin also had to be replaced because the firing pin broke. Uh, again, how that happened, I have no idea. <laughs> Oh, the old boy there, he was pretty rough on equipment, I guess, at times. Uh, but yeah, I took it down to Coraline's. They fixed it up for a few hundred bucks. They they completely disassembled it. They washed absolutely everything. Uh, they soldered on a new site. They took it to the range. Uh, they shot it a couple of times. They sent the spent brass and the target uh, back with it just to confirm that you know, they they took it all apart, and it's in back in shooting condition, basically. And then also the target shows you that, you know, where the bullet hit, and it was pretty pretty accurate now. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, you know, I would absolutely love to hunt with it. Uh, I honestly hadn't even shot it yet. Uh, I just, I don't know. I bought a box of bullets for it put in the closet in case one day I want to shoot it but for now it's kind of one of those guns where I like to have it just to say that I have it you know it's like a, a family relic I got grandma's 30 odd six grandpa's 30 30 my great great grandpa's 16 gauge shotgun so it's just kind of almost like a family heirloom or whatever those things are called <laughs> you know so it's it's nice to have uh Plus, if I was going to hunt with it, uh, I I would want to hunt a moose with it on the 98 road. Because that's kind of where the gun got its beginnings from. Uh, you know, Grandpa packed it on the 98 road. My dad packed it on the 98 road. Got his first moose with it down there. And uh, so, yeah, it's one of those things where I would just... Can't take it home, kind of thing, you know? Uh, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a nice little gun. But uh, we'll see. Maybe this spring I'll take it out and uh, maybe shoot a bear with it. I'm not too sure. Because this spring, I, I really want to shoot a bear with a uh, muzzle loader. And I don't know if I want to use. Like a, I don't know, like a CVA Wolf kind of a modern muzzle loader, 
or if I want to get like a percussion cap muzzle loader or maybe even like a flintlock uh again just going back to like that cool factor having a flintlock with like a 50 caliber round ball and a patch uh to take that bear hunting would just it'd be wicked plus now that i do youtube you know it'd be a wicked youtube video too but uh you know i've always been into doing like that kind of weird one-off type of stuff uh like what i was talking about like it might have been on my last podcast about the 257 weatherby uh i bought one just before the big craze happened now it's kind of like old news but you know at the time if you bought a weatherby you pretty well bought like a 300 or a 7 mm or the 3378 and for me, I looked at ballistics of the 257, and it just seemed like a barrel burner. But it was something that hardly anybody ever really used at the time. And then also, it was Roy Weatherby's favorite caliber. So, was, you know, why not? Give her a go. Uh, unfortunately, now, though, you know, it's so expensive to shoot a Weatherby. And I don't reload. And even if you did, I mean, really, you're not... You do save quite a bit of, of money, but, you know, uh, I just, I'm more of a convenience type of a guy. I don't want to come home and have to reload bullets uh, for half a day or whatever. I'd rather just go down to backcountry in Fort St. John, walk up to the till and say, pass me that box there. And if you do that with a Weatherby, I don't know what it is now, but a couple of years ago, it was $120 for a box of 20 for my 257 so every time you pull the trigger uh basically it was six dollars so uh yeah it's it was a bit expensive so i had to kind of i didn't necessarily have to give it up because of that i kind of burnt the barrel out i think on my weatherby uh you know i didn't really take that good of care of it when i first got it when i was a kid i'd shoot it till the barrel was red hot kind of a thing and yeah Plus, it's like the Vanguard, so the steel isn't quite top-notch stuff. It's still pretty good stuff. Like, I would have absolutely no problem whatsoever uh, buying another Vanguard. But I just have other uh, other things I want to buy first. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah, the weird oddball stuff. You know, it's... Uh, I don't know. It's always kind of pulled me towards that. You know, that's why I like just kind of changing things up. For when it comes to bears and chickens. Uh, you know, elk and deer and moose. It's one of those things where it's already a challenge enough as is. So I don't really want to be experimenting. You know, using like a single shot shotgun on an elk. As as cool as that sounds. Uh, you, you struggle already as is trying to get an elk. So when you put that on top of it and you're just. You're just kind of asking for failure, you know. So uh, I'll leave that for the bears and the chickens. Because usually it's not a slam dunk. But your chances of getting a spring bear are extremely high around here. Uh, in the fall, it's quite a bit lower because there's so much for them to eat. But in the springtime, man, there's bears everywhere. And it's a blast. That's why I keep telling people, you know, if you want to get into hunting... 
either start with chickens or start with bears. Uh, a spring bear, you know, if you screw up and they get your wind and they run off, keep driving, go around the corner, you'll find another one. You know, and it is that easy uh, to find black bears in the spring. Pretty well, it's, I treat it like chickens, kind of. You know, you drive around, I got my dogs with me, I got my woman, my brother, his girlfriend, my dad, my stepmom, whatever, and we just go out and drive around. You see a bear, you stop the truck, turn it off, walk up to it. If it runs off, well, you go back, get into the truck, start driving again. You know, and it's it's enjoyable. Like, it's, it's kind of, at times it can be hard work, uh, depending on how many bears you see in a day. But the hard work is basically just stalking up onto the bears. After you shoot them, it's fairly easy. Unless you want to do a bear for a rug, then yeah, that takes a little bit of work. Uh, but for me, uh, we just shoot bears just for the meat, basically, and for predator control. So it's a win-win for us. Plus, they make phenomenal sausages. If you haven't, uh, well, some people have a bad time with bears. Just, I don't know, they have the weird feeling that, you know, they're eating something that can eat them kind of a deal. But, uh, I don't know. Plus, there has been times where people have shot, like, a bad bear. Where it's a bear eating salmon or a bear eating garbage and stuff. Don't let those things kind of fool you or to turn you away from it. If you get a bear that's roaming out here, one of the best things you can eat. Uh, it makes absolutely great, great roasts and soups and stews. Some of the best sausages you'll ever eat in your life. Pepperoni is amazing. As long as you take it to a good butcher who knows what he's doing, takes his job seriously, then you will never have a problem with a bear whatsoever and uh yeah it's uh it's hard to beat it's only november and i'm already counting down the days till may <laughs> i just i absolutely love bear season there's a reason why i take three weeks of holidays in uh in the spring and i just live in the holiday trailer and hunt bears bounce around from spot to spot uh check out new areas check out old areas check out usual areas and uh Man, it's it's a blast. We usually I usually get two. Shelby will get maybe one. My brother will come out and get one or two. My dad gets one or two. Uh, sometimes I have other people that want to come out and I kind of show them around, point them in the right direction, kind of a thing. And you know, it's just it's a blast to have everybody out. As long as you're kind of as long as you're being respectful and all that good stuff, you know, it's man, it's fun. Uh, but yeah, like I said here, it is November, uh, what day is it today? Uh, November the 8th. So, yeah, ice fishing season is right around the corner. Uh, I think last year, around the 30th of November, I want to say, maybe the first week of December, <laughs> That's when we had kind of like our first outing for uh, ice fishing. So we're pretty well there. We're counting down the days. Uh, I really don't know where I'm going to be going much this year. Uh, on my next days off, I'm picking up uh, a snowmobile. I I had a mountain machine there last year. And uh, 
yeah, that just wasn't quite for me. I got back into it, bought all the gear, went out a few times, and it was it was fun. But uh, when I was doing that, it was taking me away from what I love to do, right? Uh, I didn't do hardly any ice fishing. I didn't do hardly any trail riding around here on the pipelines. And sorry, that wasn't last winter. That was two winters ago when I had the, the mountain machine there. But... Uh, yeah, I'm getting a nice little Tundra with the 550 fan cooled in it from uh, from old dad. He's thinking about uh, kind of selling off a bunch of his stuff and getting out of the country and kind of going south. So, yeah, he's offered it up to me. So, uh, yeah, I'm picking that up from him. And, uh, yeah, it's, man, it's going to open up a lot more opportunities because there's a lot of places around here where uh, the ice fishing is good in the winter, but the problem is but the problem is that uh a lot of the roads and stuff are industry roads and unfortunately or fortunately whichever side you're on uh, a lot of the wells are getting shut in now uh so when the road maintenance is pretty well zero uh there's no upkeep in them at all because they are kind of private owned roads and then also in the winter they don't get plowed out Nobody's going to plow into a road that goes to nowhere kind of thing. Uh, so this year, at least now, if I want to go to some of them lakes, I can just load everything up into the snowmobile and into my sleigh, and I can just head in there for a day or two kind of a thing. Uh, but so far, uh, the usual Lake Inga, my absolute favorite lake around here uh, for ice fishing, Inga Lake is kind of like the chicken hunting of the north. Uh, usually when you go, you catch fish. You don't need anything fancy. The fish are easy to catch. If the weather turns absolute terrible and you want to get out of there, it's 30 minutes, well, maybe about 40 minutes from the house. You know, so if you want to pack up your stuff and just go home and be done with it, you can. And, you know, if you leave at noon, you'll be home by 1. Uh, other places I want to check out too is, uh, Boot Lake, uh, possibly Boulder Lake, uh, Boot Lake, I went there, I think I filmed a little fishing video a couple years ago over there when I was still kind of learning the rope, so that video was, it's not that good, but you can see what kind of a fish are in there, uh, it's beautiful brook trout and rainbow trout that are in there and they are stocked but for whatever reason they get nice and big uh i would like to try one island lake again uh the problem with one island though is i think there is a massive amount of freshwater shrimp in that lake so if you want to really catch fish you have to be in there before the end of december because that's when the big hatch is for freshwater shrimp uh, so, and after that, the fish are just gorged. You know, people always say they're extremely hard to catch. That's because they're not hungry at all. They are so full of the freshwater shrimp that they just, it don't matter what you put in front of them. Like, they're, they're full. <laughs> but, it, supposedly, if you go in there before the end of December, before the big shrimp hatch, uh, they're a little bit more little more hungry and you're actually able to catch them uh but 
I I don't know. It's it's a lake that's on the to do list, but it's kind of it's low on that list. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of other places I'd rather go to before heading over there. Uh, Boulder Lake, that's 100% a snowmobile uh, trip for there. As long as that gas plant doesn't get shut in that's up on top of the hill, you should be able to drive that 17 kilometers in there and then just park off to the side, hopefully. And then from there, I'll be able to just take the sled, go down. It's like a kilometer-ish to the bottom of the hill. And then uh, to get in there, I'd probably have to take the sleigh off, break trail on the quad trail. Uh, you know, it would have been a smart thing to do would have been to walk in on that quad trail just to see how it is. But I mean, I don't know. It shouldn't be that bad, really. People take their quads in through there. Plus, when we walked in there, uh, we there's two trails to get into Boulder Lake. There's a quad trail and then the foot trail. And when you're going in there, it's kind of like uh, wide open pine. So even if the quad trail is just kind of garbage, we should be able to kind of nitpick our way to the lake. It'd be kind of like at the trap line at the cabin where we had like a turnaround spot where really it was just a trail that zigzagged through the trees that eventually looped back to the front of the cabin kind of a thing. But, uh, yeah, it, we should be all right going in there. But, yeah, I'll just unhitch the sleigh at the bottom of the hill, find what trail works the best way, come back, hook onto the sleigh, and then head back out and go fishing. But uh, one thing I want to do, too, is a few overnight trips. So, Ingle Lake will for sure be one overnight trip. Uh, just take the, what I used to do a few years ago before I uh, bought my place out here in Buick, is like on my days off, I was in town, and I just, I hated being in town. So, on my days off, in the winter anyways, I would take my ice fishing tent, and it's a 6 by 12 and I'd go to Charlie Lake or Inga, and... Uh, on one half of the tent, I have my cot on the one side, and then I have like a collapsible fold-up kitchen set, and I have that set up on the other side. So I'd have like whatever my dishes, my little propane stove there, and all that. And then the other half of the tent, so the other six by six area, it was like the fishing zone. And usually what I'd do is I'd have two holes drilled. Uh, one was for at night, and one was for during the day. During the day, it was in the far corner, uh, and I have, like, my propane heater in the center there. And then that way, it was just kind of out of the way, your chair's off to the side and all that stuff, and, you know, you could fish there all day long, and not a big deal. And then at night, I'd simply just pull my rod out of the far corner hole and drop it into the hole that was right at the head of my cot, so I could be laying down in bed, pretty well half asleep, and still fish. And there was a lot of fish that came out of that hole at like midnight, 2 in the morning. Because you'd sleep for a little bit. You'd wake up because you got cold. You'd kick on the the uh, little little buddy heater. It has an O2 sensor on it. 
but I, I still don't like, I don't trust that to go to sleep with it. You know, I don't want to die out there from carbon monoxide. So I turn it off, have a nap or whatever. But anyways, you'd wake up, turn on the heater while you're waiting to warm up. I'd drop my line back in the water and catch one or two fish. And then you get nice and warm, you get all warmed up, turn off the heater, go back to bed, sleep for another kind of four hours or two hours, three hours, whatever it was. And, uh, yeah, it was just a, a vicious cycle, but uh, it was it was an amazing time. Uh, you wake up, grab your boots, throw your boots on, <laughs> pretty well tap the little bit of crust of ice that was on your hole, get it opened back up, start fishing instantly, throw your line in the water, turn on your pot of water for uh, for oatmeal in the morning, have your bowl of oatmeal, <laughs> maybe catch a fish or two go outside cut some firewood bring it back have a nice little campfire out on the ice make hot chocolate cook something over the fire you know and i would do that for like six days at a time and man i tell you it was it was just great so i'd really like to do that again uh but at multiple locations i'd like to do uh, it, my my schedule is slightly changed now, uh, but I could do like probably five days, uh, you know, for sure three or four anyways. But I'd do, you know, Ingle Lake, maybe Boulder Lake, uh, Boot Lake for sure. If I go in the early season, I might be able to hit up One Island Lake. After, you know, the end of December, I don't even think I'd waste my time at one island, to be honest with you. Uh, but then there's also, like, Swan Lake and Charlie Lake. But those places, I've heard people uh, catching fish at Swan Lake at one specific spot where it's pretty good. And then Charlie Lake, I, I don't like that lake at all. I don't even like going there in the summer. In the winter, I especially don't like it i've spent i don't know how many nights camping out there and uh even when i lived on the lake when we were a kid we lived right on lakeshore drive and every day after school i'd go down i'd drill two holes one hole was to fill up our water cistern because i'd pack out like a little honda trash pump and hoses and stuff pump uh pretty well the pond water basically because such a crappy lake but i'd pump the water into our cistern while i was doing that i'd set up a fishing line and i'd fish for whatever from kind of three to well no i got home probably about four o'clock after the bus and all that stuff but it was like four to like six thirty seven o'clock kind of a thing once it gets a little too dark kind of a deal and i'd do that every day after school and uh when I did that, I think at the end of February, I got one ling. So, and I started in like December. So December, January, and February, three months of fishing every day, I caught one fish. And then even now, uh, me and my cousin Michael, I almost, <laughs> that's, how much time do we got? Oh, we got time for this story. So me and my cousin Michael, we went out to Charlie Lake. And we were determined to catch fish. We were, the one year we went out every single chance that we could to try to find fish on Charlie Lake in the winter where you could like 
consistently catch them because me and him are fishing freaks uh and we we had it set to where we were going to go out and spend the night on Charlie Lake and just try to catch fish we were going to try jigging all night long if we had to we we're going to try bottom bouncing spoons flashers even spinners jigs whatever like we we were ready to go uh and it, it's one of those things where i've spent many nights out on the ice at that time uh and i think with michael he was uh not quite ready <laughs> for the temperature drop and i mean neither was i like well, i, I kind of was but uh yeah it, it was one of those nights where it went from like minus 20 to about minus 38 within a couple of hours and you know it was like we we're just being stupid and stubborn where we were already on the ice we've been there for three quarters of the day we were just gonna suck it up and uh and just keep fishing well, it got to be, I don't know, whatever time at night, and it was time to go to bed, probably midnight or something like that. And uh, so I had my minus, what the heck are they? They're like minus 50 boots. I had great big, huge bib coveralls on, or the overalls kind of thing that are insulated. And they're the ones that, like, when it's minus 40 at work, those are what I wear on top of, like, I. Uh, your insulation layer and then your sweatpants and then like ski pants and then those bibs go on and then for like clothing wise it's always like the long underwear long sleeve shirt sweater and then my great big huge minus 40 jacket and then i wore that inside my my minus 30 sleeping bag on my cot and michael the poor guy he had a couple of blankets and then just like a regular snowsuit basically and i mean he had like some stuff on underneath too you know long johns and a hoodie and stuff but uh he also didn't have a cot he didn't have a sleeping bag he just sat in the chair <laughs> he had a quilt i think so he just took his quilt threw it on over top of him and he just said well we're gonna try it <laughs> I get I get woken up. I guess I was like snoring away. Like I was I was out. I was nice and comfy. But I mean, the amount of stuff I had on, it was incredible. He woke me up and he said, "Man, like we gotta go." And uh, so we just left everything. I we just got up, unzipped the tent, closed it behind us. I left. My cot, sleeping bag, fishing gear, everything. We didn't even hook on to the sleigh, I don't think, because he had his snowmobile out there. We pretty well just hopped onto the snowmobile, went up to his truck, <laughs> quickly loaded it up. I, even when it comes to like tying down the snowmobile, I, mm, I don't think we really did much for tying it down. I think we just got out of there, kind of a thing, and. Yeah, by the time he said he got home, uh, went inside, started a bath, and he was shivering so hard that he almost started puking, kind of a thing. And, uh, yeah, he sat in that bathtub 
for, uh, I think he said a couple of hours. And he just kept topping up with hot water, kind of thing, just to try to bring up his core temperature. Because he 100% had hypothermia and bad. Like that, uh, that almost should have been like a hospital trip, to be honest with you. But, uh, yeah, he decided not to go. And he said he was cold for like three days. Like it took him a long time to thaw out. <laughs> Oh, man, so, uh, yeah, I almost killed my cousin on Charlie Lake. There's that story for you guys. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, yeah, hopefully that doesn't happen this year. And uh, we've definitely gotten better equipment. We're a little more set up for it now. So, hopefully, uh, the next overnight trip that me and Michael do together uh, goes a lot smoother. Uh, plus... Yeah. <laughs> oh man. But anyways, guys, I think with that story, I'm uh I think I'm going to call it. I'm going to cut her there. Uh yeah, things are going great over there on the in the world of YouTube. So uh if you're just listening to this, we have a video version up on YouTube that you can go and check out. Uh it's just search up Buick Outdoors on YouTube and you'll find us there. Uh, if you're already there and you want to listen to this podcast instead of watching it, uh, when the next one comes out, uh, again, search up the Buick Outdoors podcast. Uh, you'll find us on all major po- uh, podcast platforms, iHeartRadio, uh, Google, Spotify, Apple, uh, whatever else there is. I, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I should maybe kind of get my ducks in a row and figure out where exactly where we're at. But uh, yeah, just just search the Buick Outdoors podcast and you'll find us kind of... We're kind of all over the place. We're a little bit of everywhere. But anyways, guys, I want to thank you for watching and for listening to this. Uh, make sure you like the video. Uh, give us a rating. Leave us a comment. Subscribe to the channel. And uh, hey, guys, I'll see you on the next one.